Hello and welcome to another episode of SoFly. It's, uh, well, it's we're, we're right at the beginning of December here. The uh, holiday season is upon us, and the break is coming up, which is nice. My name is Mitch. We've got uh, Aldo here. Hey, everybody. We've got Yelma. Hey. And we've got a very special guest on the show today, um, a very knowledgeable guest, maybe one of the most knowledgeable guests we've had on the show in terms of um, Southern Ontario region and the Grand River Hatches. Uh, we've got Dr. Ian Martin on the show. Ian, how's it going? Very well, thanks. Great to be here and great to meet everybody in person. Absolutely. I'm super excited to have you on. Um, you've brought all kinds of photos. You've brought newspaper clippings. You brought your book uh, because Ian is the author of uh, one of the more famous books down here. Yeah, it was funny. It's, I remember I <laughs> I used to work at Green Drake in, in Ottawa. Mitch and I are from, are from Ottawa. Uh, okay. And I actually bought Fly Fishing the Grand River, uh, which uh, Ian co-authored with his wife. Um in Ottawa and I would flip through it before ever fishing the Grand River and being like wow maybe one day I'll get to fish here I know <laughs> the Grand and thinking how lucky people were in Toronto to be able to go have that resource because we didn't have trout streams in Ottawa we had trout fishing but it was all still water yeah um, so I remember leafing through this book and being like and and already using it as a resource before I even got here Absolutely. and that book is still in Ottawa for some reason oh no <laughs> I've got it here today we're gonna flip through it for sure also on a personal note on my trip to Gas Bay I actually stayed at Ian's um, cabin on the no uh, petite uh, cascapedia. Yeah, well, I, I hope that worked out well for you guys. It really did. I heard it did. Yeah. <laughs> That's a beautiful place. It's right on the water. Um, really cozy. Um, yeah, it's, it was great. I landed three salmon on my first trip, so I'm pretty happy. Well, yeah, I mean, you're doing pretty well if you did that. Because <laughs> yeah. the, the average is, uh, what is it, one every five days, I think. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, we had a really, we had a... Um, really great trip so yeah we can uh, you know maybe later we can mention on how people can book that cabin later mm -hmm. yeah. absolutely yeah, were, were sure. you uh, other two guys on no unfortunately well? no Rob no. Rob from Drift Outfitters and a, and a friend of ours David uh, yeah, was on the trip yeah mm -hmm. we all landed fish and it was awesome it yeah. was great it's good times yeah that's amazing how long have you had that cabin there uh, not that long I, I've been fishing down there quite a long time but um one of the biggest problems was finding a place to stay, so in the end, we just bought one. Oh, rad, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, yeah. that's pretty awesome. <laughs> Very. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about, well, first, we want to talk a little bit about kind of your fishing history. We want to get a sense of where and how you started fly fishing and kind of all that stuff. And then we're going to talk about um, Grand River Hatches, because I think uh, it's something that is obviously extremely important to what we do, fly fishing on the Grand River. Um, but something that we've never really do like dove into really that much on the show in terms of the Grand River itself. It's a beautiful river. I love fishing the Grand. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't gotten an, an, the chance to do it enough for trout, but I love steelheading on the, on the Grand. Uh, but I think that's going to be a really cool kind of topic today, talking about the hatches. Yeah, I think, you know, Ian, just for some of our background, we do a lot of fishing on the credit, and we talk a lot about the credit. We've had a lot of guests, Credit River-esque guests, yeah. but uh, not too, too many Grand River guests, so mm -hmm. it'll be nice to start talking about that uh, fishery, because, yeah, we all fish it, and we all love it, and mm -hmm. it'd be nice to talk about it more. Yeah, yeah and I wish uh, we would have had this episode when Mitch and I first went on <laughs> to Fergus, because we oh, didn't yeah. know what we were doing. <laughs> yeah, we were very lost. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm actually... Uh, Sorry to inform you guys that I'm actually a Credit River guest because I, I did my master's research on the Credit River. Oh, yeah? Amazing. Oh, okay. Well, here's another Credit River episode. <laughs> <laughs> why not add another one to the bank? Mm -hmm. um, well, why don't we start by talking about kind of like how you got into fly fishing? How did it all begin for you? Well, I, I really wasn't all that keen on fishing. Uh, to me, it was something you did at, in the summer at, uh, at a rented cottage on Georgian Bay. Yeah. 
but um, through scouts I got into sort of more of the wilderness survival uh, romantic vision of you know eking out an existence on the land and yeah so a friend and I would uh, would pack our, our lunch and some other odds and ends matches and whatnot into uh, into World War II uh, gas mask bags that we got at the Army surplus and we awesome. we go out hiking um, mostly around a, a scout camp on the Grand River near Bridgeport uh, upstream from Kitchener yeah and in that territory owned by the the camp there was a lot of quite thick bush and we came through this this bush on a deer trail or something and came up to the edge of a small tributary stream that flows into the Grand there and we parted the bushes and there were some beautiful spawning brook trout in full color Um, and being well-equipped survivalist boy scouts we had a a spool of line and a hook and some bologna from our sandwiches and we we tried to entice these these spawning brook trout uh, to no avail so the other thing we were into at that point was collecting butterflies so we had butterfly nets and we ended up jumping into this creek and chasing the poor brook trout around and amazing uh, catching them and bludgeoning them to death <laughs> awesome and of course all of that was probably not only it was certainly illegal to catch them that way and i think probably the season was uh, was closed as well yeah right none of that mattered uh, to us no um but my friend after all was said and done he, he said very mysteriously said you know if we'd been fly fishing we could have caught those fish mm. and that was what set me off going to the library finding a a book uh Dewey Decimal Code 799.1 is the... A memory on you. You know. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what fly fishing is, yeah. 799.1. And uh, I got a book called The uh, the Knoll Guide or The Family Circle Guide to, uh, to Trout Flies. And it was a whole new world. Yeah. Uh, so there I was in my parents' basement with a, a little hobby... Uh, metalworking vice and trying to tie flies in that and then i right i thought it's pretty good when i graduated to vice grips yeah <laughs> vice grips amazing <laughs> and uh tried to tie my way through the the knoll guide to trout flies and uh after i'd done that for a few months uh, i got approached by the kitchener parks and recreation to uh to teach a beginner's fly tying course which was pretty cool to me because it paid six bucks an hour mm. that's mm. awesome and I think my, my allowance was probably 50 cents a week at that <laughs> point. So. That's good money then. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, good was money. Really good yeah. money. Yeah. How long did this fly tying course last? I believe they were, um, the course would have been probably six or eight uh, weeks, uh, one evening a week for, for six or eight weeks. Yeah. And then they'd, depending on demand, uh, we, we would offer a, an, another uh, course. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we'd get fancy and try and do an advanced or uh, bass flies or mm-hmm. dry flies or something. So you, you told me a really cool story when we were off air about the, the vet that came down just to thank you for doing that course. Yeah, yeah. I think it was uh, shortly after that article was published, which was, what did we say it was? In 1971. 71. Yeah. And he must have read the story in in the record but he was actually from uh, london ontario yeah 
<clears throat> and he was a World War One veteran, mm-hmm. um, and he had been hospitalized uh, for the entirety of the time between the end of the First World War and when he came to uh, to visit the fly tying course. Yeah, uh, with the shell shock. Yeah, uh, there were, he had no observable injuries. Yeah, but he was a significantly damaged uh, fellow, unfortunately. But he signed himself out on a day pass. Uh, it wasn't like he was kept against his will. I mean, he he just couldn't function in, in normal society. But he signed himself out, mm-hmm. took the bus to uh, to Kitchener, and came to the fly tying course. And uh, one of my other longtime friends and who I met through the course, Ken McCauley, ended up driving him back to the bus station about 10 o'clock at night so he could go back to Toronto. But he came... Uh, to thank us for keeping the art of fly tying alive because as far as he knew, nobody else did it. Now, yeah. Granted, he was a little isolated where, where he was, but it certainly wasn't a... It was very difficult for me to find contemporaries, um, not in age, but in mm-hmm. in the sport. Yeah. Um, and most of it was, was through, the, uh, uh, through the fly tying course. So when this guy came... It really was at, at kind of a low point. Fly fishing was right. It was quiet. And it was of, pretty quiet. Yeah. <clears throat> where did pretty like quiet. at that time? Where did the community congregate? Was Kitchener a hot spot? Like the Grand wasn't stocked back then. No. See, back yeah, yeah back then the Grand was mostly uh, bass and, right. and perch and pike. Right. Right. Um, there was a fair amount of fishing on the Saugeen. That's mm-hmm. where I think most of the fishing was, and there were some old fo- old fellows around who who remembered when you could catch trout, brown trout in in the Grand because there was a, a provincial stocking program in the 1940s right. Right. on the Grand. And then latterly, getting into the 1970s, the uh, the GRCA, the Grand River Conservation Authority, started a, a stocking program, just put and take, of rainbow trout below uh, Shan Dam and below um, Conestoga Dam. Mm-hmm. Oh, rainbows, cool. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And of course, they all eventually went downstream until the water got too hot, and then they died. Maybe a few of them made it to yeah. to Lake Erie. Right. Uh, so the Saugeen was, was the big destination back then, and uh, through time I, I found uh, <clears throat> uh, a local... There, there were no fishing stores, per se, but in in Kitchener there were two stores, and they were sports and tobacco stores. Nice. Sounds like a store for you, Mitch. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Good town. (laughs) So uh, Central Sports and Tobacco was uh, was where I hung out, and it was uh, like Aladdin's cave to me. They they had the the apothecary-style drawers, floor-to-ceiling. So cool. And you never knew what what he would be able to (laughs) dig his hand into and, and come out with. I still have some extremely rare hooks that I bought there. We went through all kinds of them. And I, when I finally wised up as to how rare they were, I bought a whole bunch. Yeah. Um, and they're the um, Alfred Willis and Sons 198 Canadian hook model. Wow, it's great a, memory. A loop, yeah, uh, loop return eye streamer hook. Right, okay. Beautiful hook. Yeah. And uh, I still have a few hundred of those, but. Uh, Walper Sports and Tobacco was the other. It's um, affiliated with the Walper Hotel, which was uh, quite a famous hotel in its day. 
but Central Sports was more of a hangout place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could, yeah. there were some old fellows around there who, you know, they would sit around and chat about fishing and kind of tolerate uh, pimply young teenagers. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I tried to pick up a few things from them. There was uh, one guy actually gave me a fly tying lesson. Uh, his name was Harry, Harry Gofton. And he would also eat a worm for a quarter. Whoa, nice. That guy sounds like a... Tie a fly, eat a worm. <laughs> I'll eat a worm for a quarter. <laughs> a business awesome. model. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> hilarious. And actually, that's where I bought my first uh, real fly rod. I got a, uh, a Sharps Scotty split cane. Yeah. Um, it was a, an eight-foot, five-weight split cane. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I saved up for many, many, many weeks uh, pocketing all my, my school lunch money that I'd get oh, from yeah. my parents. and uh, Pick up that rod. Yeah. How old were you about that rod? I was probably, uh, probably 16, 17. Nice. Yeah. That's nice. awesome. All right, we're going to take a quick second here to talk about uh, something really special in uh, downtown Toronto, a slice of heaven, if you will. Um, it's packed full of fly fishing gear, tying materials, clothing, hats, bags, and more. Uh, Drift Outfitters Fly Shop at 199 Queen Street East in Toronto, Ontario, is our SoFly official fly shop. Rob and the guys down at the shop have you covered for all your fly fishy needs, whether that means uh, taking a trip to northern Ontario or instead heading on a massive journey to the heart of Africa to fish tiger fish on the Zambezi. Drift Outfitters has got you covered. Stop by the shop at 199 Queen Street East in Toronto or visit them online at driftoutfitters.com to take advantage of their online store and free shipping on Canadian orders over a hundred bucks. So what, like what, when you, when you learned about fly fishing and that you could catch those fish, what was it about those fish or the, that made you want to catch them? Like, was it just like, oh, that'd be good eating kind of thing? Or was it a, was there something else to that desire? Yeah, no, it was, I'm not sure it was ever about the eating. I mean, the eating was, my dad used to fish for brook trout in the Saugeen with with a worm, Mm -hmm. and I always enjoyed eating them, but to me it was just that magical connection between species, Mm -hmm. really, and to have a fish come to the fly, especially one that you tied yourself, Mm -hmm. was kind of completing a, a circle and to me that's that's still the essence of fly fishing is to uh, present a fly to whatever species of fish you're after but have them react in in a plausible manner and, and eat it willingly mm-hmm. and it's like um, it's like at some point you through your fly are the prey yeah mm-hmm and the fish is the predator yeah and then when it takes the fly the roles completely reverse yeah and you're the predator and it's the prey yeah oh, i love that and that connection um through biology is is really what uh what took me into biology as well right oh this is a good segue absolutely yeah so the fishing precluded your interest in uh like stream insect ecology there? Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't have known there was an insect in a river. Yeah, um, I don't, yeah. That's and it wasn't a good point, actually. Yeah, it's a really, really <laughs> yeah. good point. I'm like, there's bugs in rivers? Okay. I know, I didn't realize that until, yeah, fly fishing too. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah I, I used to, uh, when my kids were in elementary school, the, the school would ask me to come in and I'd 
you know, you'd ask little kids, mm-hmm. what makes a clean river? Is it, does a, a clean river have bugs in it or no bugs? And of course, they would all say no bugs. Yeah. And, and as fly anglers, we all know that the cleaner the river is, the greater diversity of, Absolutely. of aquatic life there is in it. So it's, it's that uh, reality check as well that, you know, kind of turns things on its on mm-hmm. their heads for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Clean doesn't mean empty. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So when you so you got into the fly tying, uh, teaching the fly tying course, you were into the world of fly fishing. You started learning more about uh, biology and ecology. Where did you go next? Like after sixteen, seventeen, after you got that split cane rod, <laughs> where did you find yourself going? Pretty dark, obsessive places. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I was. Uh, you know, I was not Mr. Popular at, at high school. I was, uh, you know, fairly withdrawn, not not a big hit with the girls. Uh, more interested in what the weekend would bring and yeah. and uh, how to get out on a river and uh, chase some more fish. And, and luckily I had met some, uh, some and made some good friends through the, the fly tying course. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> who, when we started, were, uh, they were the drivers because I was too young to drive. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time right through when I was finishing high school and, and starting university. Uh, we uh, we all fished together in, in quite a, a close knit group, uh, most of whom were were friends through the the fly tying course. And then certainly in, in high school, biology was not much of a draw. Mm-hmm. It was very poorly taught at the high school I went to in in Kitchener. Mm. Uh, it was kind of an afterthought, so yeah. there was there was not really much incentive from that exposure to go into biology. But yeah, I, no passion there. No, yeah. but I, but I already knew that you know biology was a path to to understanding yeah. um, how things worked uh, in in streams and, and lakes. Absolutely. Uh, within you know between fish and between their food and between uh, fly fishing. Yeah. I was sufficiently maniacal that that <clears throat> kind of. Mm-hmm. laid out the path for me so you know went to uh university of waterloo for an undergrad in in biology and mm-hmm. found to my dismay that that meant like three years of microbiology and oh, yeah. biochemistry and physics and uh pretty hardcore all my favorite yeah. subjects That's oh, awesome. <laughs> some heavy heavy stuff and the actual uh you know invertebrate zoology or, or fish biology and, and ecology were kind of things that didn't appear until third and fourth year but mm-hmm. nonetheless I, I stuck with it and uh, still know a little microbiology nice right? uh, I know nothing about biochemistry <laughs> um, and then uh, went into a, a master's uh, program at, at University of Toronto which was uh, based on uh, uh, the ecology of a couple of uh, stream insects and, and their oh, wonderful uh, ecology and, and life cycles and interactions yeah did you write your masters on the mayfly no it was on uh good question it was on two species of caddisfly it was on okay. uh ryacophila fuscula the green rockworm okay okay and ryacophila melita which is uh, a slightly smaller but still very common um rockworm that is a, a an uncased caddis. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're both predators, and I did my work on the credit and the Humber mostly. Oh, cool! Oh, cool! And a little bit on Shelter Valley Creek uh, out uh, east of Toronto. Yeah, Shelter Valley. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that was my master's, and then... Uh, Why did you pick those, those insects? Well, I didn't, to be fair, I, I didn't really have much choice. It was an interesting project, although I didn't know these insects at all. Yeah. Um, but it, I chose it from several suggested by my master's supervisor, who was a, a very uh, strict uh, English uh, biology professor. Okay. And uh, she uh, had a couple of ideas, and uh, I, I chose the more attractive looking mm-hmm. insects mm-hmm. Yeah. and uh, in in retrospect it was a it was a good project for a master student to do and uh, you know the, the publications from that are still actually quite frequently cited all right oh. uh, by other people working on those yeah on that family that's of, awesome. of, of caddisflies yeah. that's wicked and certainly you do find those in the grand and the credit and the oh, so those like soggy the- the, uh, the like the green bo- the little green bodied they're they're uh, a larger uh bodied yeah well, get the book out yeah get the book out <laughs> you see if i can find a, quickly yeah. a, a photo here absolutely i think i have a photo in here but maybe i don't oh uh, those are uh, yeah just you, men- you mentioned green rock worms. i was just wondering if those are the the green ones that like those little those little green caddis yeah 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 they're quite large actually i don't think i have could you use a mop a green mop <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the mop is is kind of uh, on steroids uh, yeah for, <laughs> for, for the size of the caddis at least any mops i've seen yeah yeah, yeah. so how that did, how did you find shelter valley and the humber like the differences between those the insects in those rivers like is there a lot of difference between that and like say the grand like how do insect i mean maybe this is getting a little ahead but i'm just curious how you found you know differences between those regions yeah um all of the work i was doing was fairly high up on those systems so you know toronto guys when when you think of the humber you think of old mill and Mm -hmm. yeah arendale and and that kind of area um we were you know up around highway nine okay uh paul grave mono mills up in that area and (laughs) up there it's still a it's it's much smaller, obviously, and it's mm-hmm. it's a cold water trout stream. There there are brown trout and, and brook trout up there, so it isn't actually all that different from something like Shelter Valley, which is you know a pretty well protected right, uh, right, cold right. water stream all the way down to 401, basically, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously the the upper Cratered up uh, yeah mostly on the on the east branch of the Cratered is where I worked mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So it all it basically it was uh, it was in relation to the ecology, like the size of the stream and yeah, and and I was going to where on those streams you would find those species. Yeah. So I was I was looking at those two species. So you would basically sample the river until you found where they were, and then that's where you would like with a fly rod sample the river with a fly <laughs> rod. <laughs> well, that that did happen a few times. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, um, okay. So then upon, I guess, graduation, like where does the book, when did you write the book? Because you wrote it with your wife, right? That's right. Well, after my master's, um, I worked for Ontario Hydro uh, uh, in the biological uh, research division for, okay. for a little while, yeah. uh, looking at the, uh, analyzing the effects of the, the nuclear power plants on, on, oh, man. on biota and in Lake Erie, or sorry, yeah. Lake Huron and, and Ontario. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after I did that a little while, decided I, I did want to go and do a, a PhD. So I, I went back to University of Waterloo. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> there I, I just, I was much influenced by a, a guy I had met at some 
some biological conferences mm-hmm. who uh, he worked on relationships between um, species of aquatic insect that weren't necessarily closely related but that uh, used the same resources so uh, I ended up looking at a what we call a, a guild of aquatic organisms that all ate um, stream periphyton, which is the stuff that makes you fall on your ass when you're oh slip really okay. on the, slippery stuff, the slippery green and, yeah. and brown right. goop on rocks. That, yep. Um, so it's a it's a, a community of algae and diatoms and bacteria, and the species of invertebrates that that eat that. Mm-hmm would be considered a, a guild of periphyton grazing organisms. So, yeah. you know, there's caddisflies, there's mayflies, there's, uh, there's an aquatic moth, uh, there's snails. So not terribly closely related taxonomically, but because they all use the same resource, you can look at the, the interactions between them, which mm-hmm. is the basis of my, my PhD work, which I did on huh. the, the Maitland River. Oh, oh cool. cool. So, uh, <clears throat> oh, it's so cool that you did all of like you did your your education on the, like local rivers. Yeah, hmm. I mean it's be pretty useful too, right? Yeah, and it's a pretty low rent uh, grad student who does <laughs> their work on you know local <laughs> rivers instead of the <laughs> Arctic. Or yeah, something. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it is interesting that you've been, you know, you were fishing the Saugeen, living in Kitchener. Mm-hmm. What's your master's in the credit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, PhD in the yeah. <laughs> How did the mainland, mainland <laughs> and then the book on the grant? How did that? Yeah, yeah. How did how did that start coming to fruition? Like when did? I guess a bit. Well, well how, when did you, did? how did you meet your wife? <laughs> like when did you meet your uh, wife? Was uh, it during the PhD process? Yeah, we were grad students together at uh, University of Toronto. Nice. And uh, when I finished at Ontario Hydro, and she finished her her PhD actually at at Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, you mull over what the next steps are, and I was pretty convinced I wanted to go back to school and do a PhD so uh, mm-hmm. we ended up both of us back at Waterloo and she did a she did more schooling too well she did a postdoc with uh, with Noel Hines who was the oh. uh, uh, he wrote the ecology of running waters which is the, mm-hmm. the bible of uh, stream ecology and so she did a postdoc with him and I uh, did a PhD with uh, with a couple of his uh, former students as my my supervisors um, awesome. and then so we're living in in waterloo of course to to do that right <clears throat> mm-hmm. and it was about that time that uh you know the people who mostly were, were, were who were with m and r at the time mm-hmm. um or grca uh people like uh larry halleck at, at m and r and jim bowlby who at, at that point was at you guelph but went to work for m and r uh, Jack Imhoff, um, Warren Urex at, at GRCA, they were the ones who kind of identified the potential of um, the Grand River as a trout fishery below the, the Shan Dam because of the, the, the modification of the, the outflow to, uh, to take the cold bottom water for, for hydroelectric generation. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Was that, a re- was when that did, like a... When yeah. did that happen, that modification? <laughs> I think that was in... Uh, I think that was around 82 or 83. Okay. I, 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 Interesting. Best I can do offhand is, is yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. But certainly by uh, you know the late 80s, uh, it was uh, 
pretty clear that there was a developing mm. trout fishery on the Grand, and so that was attracting us. Um, I was still fishing a lot with with uh, Ken McCauley from uh, who was one of my first uh, uh, fly tying course people, and a few other folks, and. We fished the Grand, started getting to know it, mm-hmm. and I ran into this guy on, on the river, and he had two hockey sticks and about eight feet of window screening, <laughs> and he's kicking the bejesus out of the bottom. <clears throat> oh, it's a, bu- oh. a bug net. <laughs> and I looked at him, and I said, so, uh, what you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, there I am with with a PhD yeah. <laughs> in stream insect ecology. Yeah. And I could see that he was obviously collecting bugs, and I didn't know whether mm-hmm. he was collecting them for bait or, right, or for right. what. And he says, oh, I'm, I'm thinking of writing a, a book on this, on the hatches in this river that's becoming so important to the yeah. fly fishing community. Was it being stocked at that time? Yeah, it was. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I said, oh, yeah. So he, I said, let's see what you're getting there. So he opens up this net, and he's, I mean, he's got thousands and thousands of Jeez. invertebrates, and he's just trashing the bottom. All you need is a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. A small little section. Small yeah. scene like that to get every bug. Yeah. <laughs> so He's just nuking the river. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so uh, he starts pointing things out, and he says, you know, this is such and such and i said well actually it's <laughs> it's yeah. it's not it's this yeah and he said, oh and this happened several times and at the end of that encounter i walked away thinking who is the right person to write this book <laughs> yeah. yeah you're like oh it's me <laughs> <laughs> so i mean I, I was already from from my own interest collecting yeah uh specimens of you know that were of mayflies that were flying and of nymphs yeah. not with a great big net but with a little tiny net yeah. and uh, just for my own edification and then i thought well you know I'd, I'd always had an interest in photography to a certain extent so I, I thought well you know i could take some pictures of these and share them with people and maybe write up a little something and i thought well you know why not just write the damn book yeah 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 so um you know, Jane uh, and I collected insects up and down the river at, at frequent intervals through several years of uh, the fishing season to identify the uh, the prime uh, species that uh, that were of interest to fly fishers. Because I mean, there's there's a lot more than is in the book. There's, right. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that some of them are somewhat rare or. Um, you know, emerge at the wrong time for, right. for anglers to target uh, yeah. as, a, as a fishing fly. And so in, I guess I was partway through a postdoc when, uh, when I started uh, uh, putting that book together and it, uh, it came out in uh, 95, I guess it was. And right. what, what was the reception like with that book? Well, <clears throat> you know, like a lot of... Uh, projects that are spearheaded by one person you're not yeah. really getting the feedback yeah right uh you know my closest friends knew what i was doing mm-hmm. knew what jane and i were doing and but it, it was still fundamentally a, 
a solitary yeah. enterprise, and we were pretty sure it would be a hard sell to get a publisher to to take such a specialty right. yeah. publication. So um, it was around that time that that my my mom had died, and uh, um, you know there was a a chance to uh, to take a little bit of mm-hmm. of capital and and self-publish mm-hmm. but it was a very much a, a heart and mouth moment yeah. to to go to a, a printing press and say i want to do this book mm-hmm. yeah what do i need to do you know you need the text file well you guys would know but you know, mm-hmm. back then i didn't know yeah. uh, you know the text files and the photos and yeah. the artwork and the, yeah yeah all that uh, learning process um big undertaking yeah, yeah, and you know, not an insignificant financial risk either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, I showed up unannounced at the Isaac Walton Fly Fishing Forum show in, which was, in those days, was held in. I think in early April, before the season opened. At, back then, it was at one of the airport hotels, mm-hmm. and I knew that there would be. You know, various retailers there. Yeah. Uh, ooh, there's some fly tying material. Yeah. <laughs> a squirrel outside eating a bagel. <laughs> with a Downtown Toronto. With a right? particularly nice tail. Yeah. yeah. I gotta Very say, fun. I agree. I, I, yeah. yeah, I was like, ooh. Yeah. yeah. That's a good coat. <laughs> he's doing well, that one. Yeah, yeah he's oh, been he's eating he's, those Look bagels. He's waving at for... me. Did you see that? He was just waving at me. <laughs> he kind of looks like you, Mitch. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> That's awesome. I think he's giving us the finger. <laughs> yeah, it's probably what it is. Stop looking at me. Um, so I showed up at the, the Isaac Walton Forum with, uh, I think, I, I chickened out at the last minute and I said, let's just print 500 instead yeah. of 1,000. Right. But uh, again, if, if you're at all aware of the publishing game, you know that for you know, doubling the quantity less, is a yeah. fractional incremental cost yeah. each time you double. It's, it's the setup. It's not the right. materials that cost. Right. <clears throat> Nonetheless, uh, I think we printed 500. I showed up with... I don't know, about a 100 or 200 copies. Uh, went in there, and, and uh, I think it was Phil Kettle, who was uh, a well-regarded uh, former president of the Isaac Walton Club, and he was, a, I think he was the fly fishing editor for was it Ontario Out of Doors. Yeah. Um, and he was giving a seminar at that Isaac Walton Forum about the Grand and saying, you know, how much uh, there was to learn about the hatches and everything, and then I show up <laughs> yeah. with this book, and all the all the retailers said, "Oh, okay, you know, we'll take a couple." Yeah, and so I'd kind of walk around the circuit of all the booths and mm-hmm. yep. go to all the various stores, and you know, they'd all take a couple. And, yeah, right. And I'd get around to the end, and the first booth would say, "Can we get another oh. dozen, dozen of those?" <laughs> oh, nice. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. That's how so at the end of the first day, yeah. uh, I was sold out. Whoa, that's right so awesome! Had to go back to uh, to Waterloo and get some some more. Yeah. And first thing Monday morning, uh, get a hold of the the publishing uh, printing company and say, "Let's go with with another fifteen hundred. And uh, it uh, ended up being a you know Canadian bestseller in in nonfiction uh, through several editions. Uh, no substantive revisions. Um, mm. In the in there, a few typos and right. and things mm-hmm. corrected. Yeah. Um, we did do several uh, 
sort of higher end editions uh, with uh, target audiences. Like one of them is the rarest one, of which there are fifteen. I think uh, was was hardbound with uh, with uh, quarter leather and slipcase and. Is mar- that the one you saw on eBay? Uh, I'm not sure. No, it was Amazon. I saw one. Yeah. On Amazon. Did you know that your book yeah. is going for two hundred dollars on Amazon? Two hundred. Two hundred dollars. Yeah, that's that's just the spiral bound. The uh, yeah, yeah. The, the limited edition, <laughs> which also has a an original watercolor in it by Jane. Oh, oh um, that's awesome. Uh, they're when you see them, they're they're six nine hundred dollars. Whoa. Yeah, that's cool. It's yeah. great though. So for some some of our viewer listeners are not from Ontario. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a great little stream side companion like mm-hmm. it's a bound book it has you know hash charts and whatnot and you can keep it in your bag or the back of your vest or exactly. jacket or whatever yeah. that's what it was designed for right yes yeah, thank you for saying that all yeah. you're a little late to the party but it, the idea was to make it a stream side yeah reference so that people would fall in and get it wet and have to buy another one. Oh, yeah, okay. exactly yeah exactly <laughs> well it doesn't seem like you had problems selling them no <laughs> so. that's wicked that the reception yeah. was yeah you know because like you said yeah. going into it kind of like Oh, 500, 1,000, I don't know, and then boom. Like, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, so we're, we went well over 5,000 uh, with the various editions. There was a, awesome. a library edition with, uh, you know, the cloth printed cover, which the libraries like, and there was a yeah. a conservation fundraising edition, which was for Friends oh, of the Grand cool. River, uh, which uh, continues to make money. Uh, they still have oh, do they? a few copies. Oh, uh, boom, I'm going to go to them. That's yeah. awesome. There we go. I love that it goes back into uh, back into Friends of the Grand. It's great. Um, yeah. Which you used to be, or currently are, the VP. Uh, you were at one time. The, yeah, I still sit on the board. I'm, I'm no longer the VP. Okay. But, yeah. All right. But I I've been on the board for uh, more than twenty years. But it's, right on. <clears throat> I'm I've been stepping back year by year because it's certainly time for uh, for new blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, would you say that you fish the Grand more than other? I mean, you live in Alora, correct? That's right. We uh, we moved to uh, we built a house on on the side of the Grand River between nice. between Elora and Fergus uh, with uh, private stairs to the river. It's awesome. Um, yeah, we probably trespassed. Okay. No, <laughs> <laughs> at one point or another. No, it's <laughs> awesome. Um, we did that in, in uh, 1998, so we've been up there oh, right on. since then. Um, and then I did guide part-time for, uh, for about 10 years. Mm. Um, got to the point where, you know, regardless of how many great people you meet, um, it, it still cuts into your fishing, fishing. time <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In, a, in a serious way. And you inevitably find yourself out there with people who may be perfectly wonderful folks yeah but they really shouldn't be fishing they should be having lessons on how to cast <laughs> yeah. right yeah and you know that it's one of those magical evenings that only comes yeah. once a year yeah. when every fish in the river is looking up and yeah. ready to eat flies and the flies are there and mm-hmm. the fish are there mm-hmm. and the client can't the fly yeah. over the fish and yeah. you're thinking why am i here <laughs> yeah <laughs> more like why are they here <laughs> yeah that's right why, am, why is the rod in there yeah. uh yeah. mitch and i had a morning like that yeah on the grand this year yeah, yeah, yeah. beautiful yeah, yeah. and was the night good. before was really nice too and it was one of the, it was like shaping up it was looking like it was going to be one of those nights and then it wasn't but it was like 
calm and like beautiful night warm oh, it was awesome yeah it felt like a spinner fall was gonna the bugs oh, yeah. were in the trees and then it just just didn't, didn't happen yeah but then the next morning it was yeah yeah mm. yeah sometimes that happens my why does that happen my personal barometer is that if you're not getting bitten by mosquitoes you're probably not going to have a good spinner fall okay uh-huh. oh why mm-hmm. like is it just is that because the mosquitoes are well i mean all all insects will have the same physical requirements for being active right a certain amount of humidity yeah. certain you know below a certain wind velocity right. no, nothing's going to be biting you or or mating to fall to the water as a mayfly yeah when the, when the wind's 40 miles an hour yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, so an indication <laughs> is the, the mosquitoes yeah and because it's also a uh, related to the temperature right. Okay. right 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 yeah so you know certainly often enough uh, if the mosquitoes are bad the other bugs are, are, are gonna good. be there too mm-hmm. yeah mm. man that's kind of that's, that's good, good to know very good to yeah. know how did so i guess if we go into maybe a crash course on grand river insects and like how did you firstly what was how did you approach the book in terms of like what did you decide should go in this thing? How did you decide what? Because I know you started by actually like over the course of a few years looking at the insects in the rivers, but where did you go from there? Like, how did you decide what to put in? Well, uh, while researching for the the insects in the book, mm-hmm. naturally you have to kind of ground truth things with your fly rod and yeah. and flies. Right. So that's the best way to, to winnow out uh insect species and, and hatches that that are generally not as predictable or, or productive to the angler. Mm-hmm. So it's a question of uh, when you take the insect samples, whether it's underwater or in the air, mm-hmm. um, you get a whole lot more diversity than is of interest to the fly angler. Now that said, I mean, people look at the book and they say, whoa, you know, look at all the, the insects they have to know about. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just a tiny fraction of what's actually there. So by fishing through the hatches, you not only do you find out which ones are important, but you also can focus on following them either forward or back. So if you have a great evening uh, with a spinner fall, uh, then you can identify what species that right. mayfly, for instance, would be, mm-hmm. and then track it back and make sure you collect the duns and make sure you collect the nymphs Mm. so that you have the whole life cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And obviously getting out night after night, you Mm. find the the window for for peak uh, hatch activity. Yeah. Yeah. And make your decision on on what to include uh, based on on what gives good fishing, obviously. Uh, One of the uh, limitations or, or mistakes in the book is that I didn't have any uh, focus on the the trichorithides the trichos Mm -hmm. and that was simply because um, I didn't find that morning hatch in the areas I was looking for it at first Mm -hmm. okay later on you find oh okay it's it's happening big time up here Mm -hmm. but not down here where where I might have expected it to happen that's interesting. Uh, yeah. You'd expect it there, but it wasn't happening. Like, was it just a matter of, I guess, just a general ecology, right? Just the makeup of that section. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no reason why they shouldn't have been where I was looking. Yeah, right. Um, and there were some. Mm-hmm. They just weren't a big deal. Yeah. 
But then if you go upstream of Fergus, you know, up around Second Line, Garifraxa Bridge. Yeah. Right. On an August morning at dawn, I mean, it's... It's a lot. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 So, you know, no book is going to be perfect. That that would be, I think, one of the, you know, the significant things that I that I missed. And mm-hmm. um, if we were to do a... Another run, yeah. Another Part run, that, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that would be... A, Absolutely. Yeah. And things change as well i mean at the opposite end of the scale of trichos are the the tiny stuff um hexagenia are the biggest right and uh, those mayflies were a a significant fishing hatch at times in the Mm -hmm. in the late 90s and early 2000s and they've declined markedly so you know they're in the book Mm. but i would say that they're not often a fishing hatch these days yeah yeah is that a is that a man-made change or i fear it is okay yeah um one of the things i keep tabs on as a scientist and also as an angler is the uh, um the controversy over these uh neonicotinoid uh, pesticides that are used on uh, on crops and, yeah. and especially on as a seed treatment and uh, you know it's it seemed like a big boon to the farmers and it was a, a very targeted application when you're coating your seeds with uh, with neonicotinoids and mm-hmm. you're getting a lot less seed loss uh, from uh, insect pests that would tunnel into the the seeds after they were planted but like a lot of things that that we've come up with is uh as a chemical solutions it's turning out to have a lot of uh, effects on that downstream consequences quite literally yeah. as it washes yeah. into the rivers and it's uh there's a lot of evidence that you know it's it's uh, associated with declines in, in river insects and and even uh, things like songbirds is it being fixed i think it, it probably will be um you know some places in the world i think in the european union it's there's essentially a Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> I think there's essentially a ban <clears throat> on neonicotinoids in, in Europe. Jeez. Um, and I think it, it is being more restricted in, in uh, other jurisdictions like Ontario. But, mm-hmm. you know, there, there is pushback from the agricultural community, and you, you can quite understand why. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I think you have to uh, acknowledge the effects that it's having and, and mm-hmm. try and work out a... Yeah, you better. Know, a better way to, to deal with things. Yeah, balance, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we, I think, well, that's actually something I wanted to talk to you about was um, how have you seen the Grand River change over the course of your fly fishing career? Because you've, you've been, you know, through some really interesting times and even, mm-hmm. st- I think, studied insects like nobody else. How have you seen it develop and change over the years? And has it been for the better, for the worse? What were some of the ups and downs? Yeah, there, there certainly have been some changes. Um, you know, some... <laughs> sections of the river have not uh, uh have not been fishing as well uh, mm-hmm. in the last 10 years um and i think too there are declines in in some of the the major hatches uh, hendrickson's used to be a, a much more abundant hatch than they have been the the last 10 years or so mm-hmm. that's what we fished yeah. this year mm-hmm. Mitch and I, yeah. It uh, doesn't mean that, you know, you can't find them and there aren't still good hatches, yeah, but it but used to be like a like crazy a blitz for, for three weeks. Yeah. So I've mm. heard. I think I've heard about those. Yeah, me too. Yeah. 
And the mosquitoes aren't as bad either. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it that the Hendricksons have gone? What do you think? Or dwindle, I suppose. Yeah. Same sort of thing, the pesticides. I think I don't have any evidence to say that it's, right. it's hard to make that, right, that link yeah. um, without speculating somewhat. Yeah, but, for sure. But it wouldn't at all surprise me if, if it was related to, uh, mm-hmm. right. to pesticide use. Um, other things in the river, you know, in some in some ways have improved. The uh, like sewage treatment, it's all gone from uh, from being minimally treated. Places like Grand Valley up above uh, Bellwood Lake had really poor sewage treatment, but there's been a considerable infrastructure investment so that their effluent is is much more uh, benign. Um, the sewage treatment plants for Fergus and Elora themselves have switched from uh, uh, from chlorinated discharge right. to uh, ultraviolet light disinfection. So there's not that's good a lot that's of really chlorine good. residual yeah. going Absolutely into the river. Good. Yeah, right. interesting. So it's hard to see how that could be a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And yet, some of the areas downstream from there um, seem to be measurably reduced in uh, mm. in, in the fishing quality. I don't know whether it's uh, agricultural runoff or there's a lot more suburban development. There's a lot more armoring of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, of the land with uh, streets and sidewalks and right. And do, the da- do the dams ever? Do you think affect the bugs in any way? I know they affect um, obviously the run and. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly the uh, dam operation is is key. Um, when we first found the developing fishery, which was, uh, as I said, uh, you know, M&R and GRCA were, were certainly partners in, in uh, starting that fishery, and Friends of the Grand was also an early partner. But it was kind of viewed as, oh, you know, we'll get a few more people coming to GRCA parks facilities, and we'll make a bit more money, and mm-hmm. it's a bit of a recreational opportunity, but they expected uh, to lose the trout fishery entirely in, in, a, in a hot summer year, Jeez. that all the fish would die. Now, that's never happened, but I think it has come close a couple of times. And right. <clears throat> one time, um, I showed up for the trico hatch, actually, uh, up near uh, the Shan Dam. Mm-hmm. And they were discharging from the, the bottom of the reservoir, so the water was stratified so there's okay. a thermocline and yeah. the the uh <clears throat> the bottom of the, the reservoir had gone anoxic oh so the water that was coming out had no oxygen in it mm-hmm. goes through the turbines and when we arrived there we saw every crayfish in the river standing on top of a rock out of the water weird to get oxygen to get oxygen wow yeah oh. the trout unfortunately can't do yeah, that, that so really they were they all died. Belly up. Jeez. Oh, my God. And that went downstream for not a huge distance, but, right. you know, a few, maybe two, three hundred meters. Mm-hmm. Dead trout everywhere. Some beautiful big browns. God. Uh-uh. Um, so that was... Uh, you know, it, it's awful. It, it was kind of a, a good uh, thing to happen in a way because it sensitized everybody to, uh, to the potential for that yeah. kind of uh, anoxic. Yeah. mortality right and all of the partners uh, principally grca 
uh, took action on that, tried to regulate their their discharge so that uh, mm-hmm. you know oxygen was was always present. Mm-hmm. Put in a, an area with lots of uh, uh, structures to create turbulence and oxygenate mm-hmm. the water, and mm-hmm. it's very unlikely that it would be a, a significant problem in the future because of the yeah. learning and and reaction to that. So you know, there's been a lot of uh, great cooperative efforts to uh, to make and sustain a trout fishery that was kind of a just of a seat of the pants thing when, right. when yeah. it started out. For the future of the Grand, like, are you hopeful or skeptical about problems that we're facing? Well, I'm <clears throat> I'm mixed, I guess. Um, mm. I think there's uh, certainly good things on the horizon i think through time we will see a either a ban or, or great restrictions on use of things like neonicotinoids uh, on the other hand i think one of the biggest threats is uh, um, population growth mm-hmm. uh, that section of the grand is, is just outside the green belt so development from you yeah. know toronto orangeville yeah. leapfrogs the green belt and ends up in in center Wellington because right. it's outside that area. And of course, we do have provincial politicians who mm-hmm. have been caught saying they'd like yep. to develop the green belt. Yeah, uh, open for business. Open for business, <laughs> look at your license plate. Yeah. <laughs> Brutal. So, uh, you know, there's there's good potential and, and downside potential, but yeah. t- to me, population growth and- uh, Oh, for sure, yeah. You know, we at Friends of the Grand, we we kick it back and forth. Um, it's essentially a hands-on group, and we have members who are, are very keen to get out there and and roll rocks and mm-hmm. you know make a, a little bit of habitat in a, in a riffle or something that will hold another trout or two, or to right. dig, dig a pool or make a new riffle. And oh, I love that. Um, you know, those are all good things if they work. Uh, sometimes it's hard to predict if yeah. they work. Yeah, exactly. But if the general water quality is declining because of unrestricted urbanization or unrestricted agricultural pesticide, you're really just putting a Band-Aid on a, yeah, exactly. on a big wound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we really need to take uh, an ecosystem mm-hmm. perspective uh, or a, a drainage basin perspective and manage not just the river and micromanaging little fish habitat places for a fish or two to to survive to keeping tabs on overall water quality uh you know looking at the uh, the benthic community to see what the food quality is for Mm -hmm. for a fishery to persist yeah it's a much bigger i guess bigger things to tackle who's leading that charge like in your opinion well Friends of the Grand is is trying to do both. I mean, right. we uh, we have uh, projects that focus on in-river work, uh, you know, uh, in cooperation with 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 M and R and GRCA and DFO, looking at uh, or whatever they call themselves these days. It's not M and R anymore, and it's not. I don't know if it's DFO anymore, um, but to uh, to modify the in-stream habitat to create more right. You know, overwintering for for large fish or um, feeding areas for small fish, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then we also have 
more uh, broad-based initiatives, which for some anglers, it's difficult for them to see the, the value in going out on a Saturday morning in trout season and planting 100 trees. Yeah. And yet, you know, one of the, the major tributaries we worked on, Swan Creek, um, we've essentially taken section by section down the whole creek and approached landowners and planted trees to I mean, it was it was just open mm-hmm. abandoned field it was you yep. know, pasture it wasn't really being in most areas used for crops yeah, it was just left but the sun would beat down on it and, yeah. and the the cattle would get in there and the banks would get yeah. eroded and right. the river the, the stream rails. would get wider and wider so you know we got grants to uh, persuade farmers to fence the cattle out except in areas where they needed to get access Mm -hmm. for drinking water and then planted trees uh, on on most of the sections of swan creek and now the the stream is narrowing the water staying cooler yeah and then on the downside um, you know we get developers wanting to put in a a big subdivision right near the mouth of swan creek jeez so i for friends of the grand i recently reviewed a development proposal where the developer said, oh, we're going to build a, a slit trench here to capture the runoff from the building site. Um, and so the slit trench will feed into the Swan Creek, uh, which is uh, Great. a warm water stream. It has no groundwater influence. Uh, it's uh, just a ditch, really, and we'll, but we'll keep the, we'll keep the water from, from going over 30 degrees. Well, luckily, Friends of the Grand had been monitoring the temperatures in that stream yeah. with uh, uh, recording de- uh, thermometers for yeah. an entire season. Temperature never goes over 16 degrees. Yeah. It's a prime cold water refuge for yeah. trout. It's a spawning stream for brook trout. Oh, man. And what are they wanting to do? You know, treat it like a ditch. Yeah. Treat it like a exactly. ditch, Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's crazy it still happens like it's still happening you know mm-hmm. um we went to indiana this last summer and we were uh, we fished the white river which is uh like indiana obviously is huge farming right like crazy amount of like agriculture and it was the same thing everybody we talked to were like yeah we just used it as basically a place to dump our stuff and you know yeah. um, and at the time they were just like yeah that makes sense because it just goes away mm-hmm. yeah the fact that we're still thinking about that you know developers still think of rivers and stuff that way it's crazy like we need something yeah. to change you know yeah so you know i think the big fight on the broader scale is uh interacting with regulatory agencies and and government to uh to increase the protections for yeah for small streams because they they end up being our big streams yeah, yeah. right yeah totally those cold water refuges yeah yeah, yeah. Do we want to take like 10 minutes and just look at some of these images and talk about them? Cause like, there's some really cool stuff Ian you brought here today. Um, this one we were talking about a little bit before we mm-hmm. recorded, but yeah, for sure. We're going to post these images on the website too. So you can see exactly what we're talking about. But, um, do you want to describe what this image is? This first one? Yeah, sure. Sure. Mitch. Uh, what I did was I, I brought in a, a photograph of a little stone, uh, house on the bank of a river. And uh, it is a, it's what's known as the Fishing Temple. It was built uh, by Charles Cotton uh, 
uh, who was a co-author with Isaac Walton of the uh, Complete Angler. Charles Cotton was the actual fly fishing content mm. uh, contributor to the Complete Angler, whereas uh, Isaac Walton, who actually gets most of the, the glory, <laughs> is better known for his, uh, his poetry and, uh, and bait fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, but Charles Cotton built this little fishing temple in, uh, I think it was 1674. Wow. And right on the banks of the River Dove. And he invited his mentor, uh, Isaac Walton, to come and fish with him at his estate, uh, since uh, uh, Cotton had a, was a wealthy landowner and he had a, uh, a place called Beersford Hall in Derbyshire. <clears throat> And he invited uh, Cotton, uh, sorry, Walton to come and fish. And they apparently used that house, which is 10 by 10 feet. Oh, that's how big, yeah, it looks small, but I was like, is that, that's a small house. Yeah, yeah. a lot of architecture into a, a garden shed, basically. <laughs> um, and it was equipped with a, a beautiful uh, stone table at which they ate their lunch. And they, they talk about... Uh, eating their lunch and uh, oh that's cool uh, and cotton giving his discourse on on the different hatches and the flies to to catch trout in different months of the year over this table over this table yeah mm-hmm. and there is a fair amount of uh, beer and cheese and, <laughs> uh, bread consumed there as well oh, that's cool so i i luckily had the opportunity to uh, to visit the fishing temple uh, it's called that because cotton inscribed uh, in latin uh, Piscatoribus Sacrum, uh, sacred fishing house uh, or fishing temple mm-hmm. above the door, and it has the intertwined initials of Isaac Walton and Charles Cotton as a uh, kind of a ingratitude to, uh, to Isaac Walton, his mentor. Anyway, so I visited the place, and the keeper actually invited me to fish. So I fished uh, right in That's front awesome. of the fishing temple in the Dove. Right on. And had a tour of the inside. <clears throat> but the, uh, the table, as described in, in the book, was a, a rectangular table supported by two pedestals with a top made out of uh, a local marble. And it wasn't there. Instead, there was a, a small, uh, round pedestal table. And I mentioned to the the river keeper that you know this isn't mm-hmm. quite like the description in, in the book yeah and he said well yeah in in the early 1800s uh, somehow the the table was vandalized or accidentally tipped over and, and the top broke yeah uh so we this uh, current table is a mm-hmm. only 200 year old replacement yeah um, a meager 200 years old. A meager, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I said, oh, what happened to the old table? And he says, oh, he says, we just chucked it out. The, it was just chucked out behind the, behind the temple, and uh, that's where it sits. And he says, would you like a piece? So what I brought in is uh, oh, cool. a piece of the, the marble oh, yeah. table from, uh, from the fishing temple on the River Dove uh, from Charles Cotton's original uh, installation at the uh, at the fishing temple where the beers were drank and the cheese was eaten and the <laughs> discussions were had and the flies were discussed it's super cool like that piece of stone and yeah. it's made up of like fossils, fossils. Mm-hmm. yeah 
Yeah, I'm sure many lies were told over that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> How was the fishing that day when you fished? Uh, not river? good. Yeah. Um, I, I was not successful in catching a fish. There were, I saw one or two fish rise, but it was the, the yeah. middle of a hot day in right, summer. Right, right, right. 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 Well, you still yeah. look really, really happy in this photo. It looks like a temple. It's lush. It's so lush. Lush oh, yeah. green cool. surroundings and yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful river. Yeah. Uh, if if you do actually penetrate into that kind of obs- obscure language in in the book, yeah, um, there's a a pool they call the Pike Pool, and I I can't swear that I read the entirety of uh, the Complete Angler, but mm-hmm. I remember <laughs> the Pike Pool, and I was thinking, oh, they got a trout stream, but they got a pool with pike in it. Yeah, but no, it, it's actually uh, a huge vertical spire of rock. Okay, oh. which looks like a, a pike, pike. A pike. A pikeman's like yeah. a pike spear kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So that's the pike pool, and so uh, so English. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the guy that owns the land now, oddly enough, um, he collects and installs uh, massive sculptures for his cows. So he runs. <laughs> so like eccentric. <laughs> runs dairy cattle on on the land that was formerly Beersford Hall, yeah. and you drive to get to the fishing temple through these meadows with cattle grazing amidst these beautiful big sculptures which are not visible from the road and they're there for the cows. That's awesome. So to keep the cows happy. Yeah. <laughs> Some okay. art for the cows to look at. <laughs> That's nice. You know. Probably just yeah. like, what the no. hell no. is this statue? <laughs> keep them yeah. going. It's awesome. That's a pretty big brown trout you've got in that photo. Yeah, this is... Uh, that's a, I think, 27-inch uh, nice fish. That's a nice brown trout that's a from nice uh, Brown Drake Spinnerfall late one evening, and uh, I, that's that's the grand. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yep, right on. What's yeah. your favorite hatch to fish? I think probably still the Hendrickson. Although, honestly, I probably have more luck in the on the gray fox or the brown Drake mm. Spinnerfalls. Yeah, that's a nice brown. <laughs> That's a really nice fish. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a handsome fish. You, know, yeah. you, you get yeah. the odd one which has been caught too many times and is missing half a jaw or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I always feel badly if I mm-hmm. inconvenience one of those fish uh, no. yet mm-hmm. again. No. no. Absolutely. Well, yeah, that is a handsome fish. Yeah. 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 The Hendrickson's are fun. Yeah. Yeah, we did that this year. Yeah. On the ground. It's well, the awesome nice thing time. about the Hendrickson's is you get... Uh, several shots at them I mean, you can yeah. fish the nymphs quite well and yep. yeah the dun is a is a nice hatch and then the spinnerfall can be super yeah uh, whereas with the brown drakes it's largely about the spinnerfall right you know there's a little bit of fishing uh, for the dun sometimes when they're hatching during the day but mostly the spinnerfall yeah, yeah. and the fish just go bananas eh mm-hmm. yeah man yeah. that's awesome i've been out there with uh i remember once being out with a client and uh, i knew it was going to happen that night and so as a guide you you carry a rod so that you can just hand the client a rod yeah if they get tangled or something so i rigged up two rods his rod and and one of mine for fishing the, the spinner fall and i said this is going to be a really good night and this is the fly leader you got it all but it's getting dark this is the other rod. Start fishing, and after dark, 
if you lose your fly, I'm sorry. I'm fishing. <laughs> <laughs> We've been on the water for 10 hours. You, yeah. You've had a full you, day. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, he, he lost his fly in the, in the first... Uh, the first fish that rose, big, big brown. And oh man! I did manage to to, to catch a couple of oh, nice. really nice fish that peeled all the way down the river, and oh, a lot of wow. frantic uh, splashing around in the dark trying to catch them. But That's the, awesome. there were so many flies that you turn on a flashlight, and it was just like a oh man a conduit of spinners flying upstream, and you could hear them the hum of the wings and you couldn't see the far bank there were yeah. so many of them and when you cast your rod the rod would go through the cloud of spinners <laughs> oh man go tick, 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 tick. oh man oh that's pretty cool that's cool <laughs> you'd kill a dozen flies every <laughs> every cast yeah. god that's cool yeah so it's it's so. a momentous uh, spinner fall when it happens and uh, but overall i i quite like uh, an afternoon Hendrickson yeah. mm-hmm. emergence. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That is nice. What's that image you got there? This is uh, a little different. This is going on off uh, offshore. This is on the uh, Itchen, <coughs> the Itchen River in, uh, in Hampshire in England. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fellow with the magnificent. Yeah, those are some <laughs> Sears mutton chops. Is that what those oh, are? Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Magnificent mutton chop sideburns. Uh, yeah, that's uh, Ron Holloway, who is the uh, quite well-known river keeper on uh, on the Martyr Worthy stretch of the the Itchen River. And uh, I was visiting a, a good friend in uh, in Hampshire, and he said, uh, "I've got a special treat." And he said, uh, "I've got a pass for us to fish." on Martyr Worthy on the Itchen with Ron Holloway as the river keeper. Mm-hmm. And I bought this as a, at a fundraising auction for the local church. And the donor of the day's fishing, because it was his beat, mm-hmm. is Eric Clapton. Whoa. Whoa. So we fished uh, Eric Clapton's beat That's on cool. the Itchen River. That's cool. Um, with Ron Holloway with his uh, with his famous uh, mutton chops. <laughs> yeah. How was that beat? How was it? Oh, it's it's a magnificent yeah. stream. I mean, Ron, um, working from first principles, uh, he single-handedly pretty much uh, revitalized the art and science of uh, chalk stream mm. river keeping in, in England. And really, uh, done. He did some amazing work um, on that stretch, and it was. Um, mostly wild fish and some of them very nice wild fish Um, you weren't required to kill your fish and a lot of English chalk streams you're required to kill every fish Uh why is that? it's the way they've done it Mm -hmm. so it's just purely tradition that's it Mm -hmm. now mind you on a lot of those other beats uh, Mm -hmm. on the test or wherever the fish are mostly stocked there are wild fish as well yeah uh, so these days what they say uh, I, I was fishing on the on the test in uh, early october uh, they say you can release fish if they're under 14 inches i think it is because those are probably wild fish and then the the bigger fish that you catch are almost always 
uh, stocked. Right. Um, so, you know, it's, I don't like to kill a lot of fish, but um, we have had some, some pretty epic days. Mm -hmm. uh, my friend and I lives there and there was, there was one night we took 37 pounds of brown trout to the, to the, to the butcher to be Whoa. smoked. <laughs> Crazy, 37 pounds, holy jeez. Have you fished in England a lot? Um, I wouldn't say a whole lot, but pretty well every time I go there, I, I do have family. Nice. Uh, okay, nice. And, and also good friends. So I usually work in a, a few days fishing while I'm there. Yeah. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah, I love to fish in England. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that looks familiar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what we haven't talked about, and, and it's, it's up to you whether you want to delve into it or not. But, yeah. The, um, I I've always trout fished. I mean, trout fishing has been kind of central to my fly fishing. Yeah. But yeah. I'm afraid I've gotten seduced quite badly uh, by Atlantic salmon. I get it. Mm. And uh, <laughs> can't wait. Can't wait next year. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, how did that start? That was kind of weird. Um, my wife, Jane, was uh, she was the uh, what they call her the the coordinator of the student. Um, co-op program at, at Wilfrid Laurier University where she she was a professor of biology yeah. mm -hmm. and for a while in that job um, she had to visit the co-op students at their place of work wherever they ended up so uh, we kind of took the allowance for her travel and turned it into a, a vacation so we ended up visiting some student who was working in Nova Scotia and then decided to go up to Cape Breton and fish the marguerite. And uh, Jane's an angler, yeah? She is, yeah. 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 So we fished the marguerite, and I, I had read a lot about salmon fishing. I'd never, mm -hmm. never salmon fished at all. Um, I'd caught salmon par on the River Tweed in Scotland. That was it. Right. Uh, so we show up yeah. on the marguerite, and... Uh, I'm all a tither. I mean, I just an adrenaline pumping, right? You know, yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The king of fish. So yeah. <laughs> I tie on this fly, and there was a guy on the bridge, and he said, oh, I see some down in, in that little pool there. And so mm -hmm. I worked my way down to it, and like on my third cast, I hooked this salmon. Whoa. Yeah. And I lost the fish. It pulled out. And he says, see, you know, it, it's not that hard. And I said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and eight days later, I hooked another one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. 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 So uh, <clears throat> that one I did land. And uh, then shortly after that trip, children came along and uh, salmon went away um, for a, a protracted period. But then uh, I ended up going down to... Uh, to Gaspé Z with a friend uh, in the tackle industry and uh, he introduced me to some people and uh, you know, as you know the yeah. the rivers are just so gorgeous. Mm -hmm. You just can't imagine like I've you know grew up looking at pictures and yeah and just yeah I remember if we drove in to your cabin we got there um, well we drove overnight we left Toronto we drove through the night mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then got to the cabin at like the midday, I guess. 
I think. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember properly. I know we were in Ramuski like when the sun was coming up. That much I remember. So that sounds about oh, yeah. right. Yeah. And then uh, and just driving through the peninsula and just being like looking and finally seeing all these rivers that I had read about like you know you get into the Matapedia Valley so see the Matapedia for the first time it's a river I've read about for yeah decades exactly. you know mm-hmm. and just being like whoa <laughs> and then you go to Ian's cabin and you you, you we park you park the car and then you, you take a walk around to the front of the cabin and then that's when you see the Petit Cascopedia and yeah it's just gorgeous mm-hmm. yeah like nowhere else eh well, the no, water's I mean, so clear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Bonaventure, they say, is the second clearest river in the world. And I, I just want to know who gets to go around and look at all the rivers and decide which one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's the first? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. If not yeah. the Bonaventure. Like, the Bonaventure is like you're floating on air. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's crazy, eh? Yeah, there's places on the Bonaventure I've I've crossed with a, a guide friend. And, you know, he says, let's go down and cross the river. And I start heading towards the river to cross it. Yeah. He says, no, we need to go down a little further. And I'm looking, and I'm, that's what, knee deep there or something. And yeah. says, we keep going down and down and down through the tail of the pool and down and down and down. And finally he steps into the water and thinks, it's going to be ankle deep. We could have crossed 150 mm-hmm. meters upstream. And you're up at the top of your waders. Yeah. You, <laughs> yeah, because of how clear it is. Right? You have no concept of how. Yeah, depth. The yeah. depth, yeah. 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 Jeez. Yeah. Some nice fish you got in these photos, too. My goodness. Oh, my. Yeah, we're going to try to go to we're gonna be uh, here. Gas Bay next uh, next uh, September. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's like one of the top places I've always wanted to go there. Uh, uh, Mitch is a... I'd love to catch an Atlantic. Yeah. It'd be cool. Yeah, that was... Uh, that was. Oh, my God. These are some nice fish. <laughs> Again, we're going to post all these on SoFly.ca, uh, so check them out if you're uh, listening. Because they're beautiful shots. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing, the thing I find about Atlantic salmon fishing is two things. Yeah. Um, well, there's more. Than, there's way more than two things, actually. But That's nice. That's beautiful. Two of the important things, uh, you know, you, you land a fish and you're, you're holding in your hand something that has swum to Greenland and back. Yeah. And it's on its way to spawn, but not right away, like six months from now. Yeah. But it's hanging around the river. Uh, having gone to Greenland and back, and you're, you get to hold it in your hands and, and let it go. And when you're holding it in your hands and you look at that fish, you, know, you look at a brown trout, you look at a steelhead, you're getting ready to release it, and it's looking down mm-hmm. into the water. You hold an Atlantic salmon, you look at it, it looks back at you. <laughs> yeah. 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 You, know, you make eye contact, and it's it's trying to figure you out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not just thinking about get it, get me out of here, dying or or getting away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's uh, it's a pretty special fish, and um, you know when you go in in September, pretty well every fish that's going to be in the river is in the river. Yeah, so there can be a pool with two, three, four hundred fish. Yeah, and maybe none of them will take a fly yeah you go in june there might be two fish in that pool but one of them will take a fly yeah so they're very different fish depending on the season mm-hmm. uh, i've been on the petite cascopedia in september fishing a pool with easily 300 salmon in it yeah and one steelhead 
and you'll catch the steelhead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, they're they're kind of worried about steelhead there being naturalized and spawning, right? Creating a a, a self sustaining run. This is the size of Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that fish is salmon in this photo. Yeah. Hey, that's uh, Bob McKenzie, the... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Bob. Oh, yeah, Bob. Sage uh, Reddington Rio uh, rep. And that's... We figured that one was 46 pounds. Look at the dog looking at it. <laughs> the dog's like, oh, my God. 46 46 pounds. pounds. Holy jeez. I will say, yeah, The when you... When we found fish for the first time in the... We fished the Bonaventure first. That's the grand. Yeah, yeah that's a nice, that's a great photo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your heart skips a beat. You're like, oh, there they, there they are. There's that like magical ethereal fish. You mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. I think you like when you talked about earlier why you got into fly fishing, and it's because of that connection you get between species. You know that are so different. Mm-hmm. There, this is like the ultimate version of that, right? It's very much a. Uh to me, a visceral uh, mm-hmm. connection through biology. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I obviously I'm I spent so much time understanding biology that I tend to view a lot of things biologically. Yeah. Uh, but to me, that's uh, an important driver in in fly fishing from my perspective is understanding what the fish are receptive to, mm-hmm. providing it, and having them take it in in the essentially in the spirit of what they were going to do exactly exactly um you know i mean you can you can catch a a brown trout on a fluorescent orange mouse if you want yeah um not to say it won't work i mean they're curious they're experimental they're everything like that Uh, but to me you know matching a hatch presenting a fly that especially one you've tied yourself Mm -hmm in the manner which the trout are receptive to, to taking that as a, a natural. Yeah. And then uh, having that connection is Certainly the most central. honest way at it too, right? It's the most, I mean, that's fly fishing, right? It's just that, that idea, like you're part, you're, yeah. I mean, you're the prey and then it flips around. It's a cool way to look at it. Yeah, and I mean, it is called fly fishing for a reason. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> exactly. I know yep. sometimes we forget that. <laughs> I think in the sport, you know. Yeah, I mean, I've got buddies who are pretty keen on on the musky fishing or something. And, yep. You know, they're out there whaling around with a twelve weight <laughs> yeah. and and a big uh, yeah. uh, you know a big fourteen inch long uh, what do they call them half chicken dinner? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Highlighter. <laughs> yeah, basically just a yeah. And I, a I'm bird th- on a hook. I'm thinking, you know, isn't that why God invented bait casting reels? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Well, uh, I think it's time for. Mitchie's Fishies Five. Mm-hmm. We yeah, do a segment sure. on the show every show where we ask the same guest five, every guest five, the same five questions. Um, it's not like a buzzer beater thing. Just, just more five more questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's no speed. And actually, today I'm going to make it Mitchie's Fishies Six because I have a sixth oh. question that I feel like it is really suited for this show. But let's do Mitchie's Mitchie's Fishies Six. So yeah, six six, six of them today. Yeah. Whoa. So the first one is, what is your favorite fish and why? Yeah, I. I that's a really hard one. I mean, it would have to be a salmonid. Yeah. Um, I fish saltwater occasionally, not with uh, with great uh, enthusiasm, but I fish striped bass, a bit of bonefish, that kind of thing, redfish. Yeah. But oh. to me, it's it's salmonids. Redfish. Yeah. 
Uh, I like smallmouth bass, but uh, brown trout, Atlantic salmon, steelhead, brook trout, rainbows, um, mm. but probably Atlantic salmon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> redfish. You fish redfish. How'd you like those? We just recently. Yeah, we just got back from redfish. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. so fun. <laughs> uh, I fished uh, redfish in Florida for a few days uh, with a with a, a dear friend, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, we got some fish. Um, it was hard work. I mean, they're they're difficult. They're not not easy fish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when when you catch it, and I, I talked about you know holding Atlantic salmon in in your hands, thinking where it's been to and come back from, and the way it looks at you, and then I pick up a redfish and it looks like a carp with a spot in its tail. I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I find they're very docile when you pick them up. They're just like, okay. yeah. At least ours were just like they just like froze, and then you're like, Are these okay, and then you put it back in the water. It's like, poof, just takes off instantly. It's like, Whoa. yeah. I mean, they're they're good fun, hardy, yeah, but they don't inspire me. Atlantic salmon, yeah, it's a great Atlantic salmon are inspiring. Uh, the second one, second Mitchie's fishy six today. If you could fish anywhere in the world right now, assuming it's the best time to go, season everything, where would you go and why? Um. I have kind of a grudge match with with Norway coming up. Oh, okay. A grudge match. <laughs> because <laughs> because Jane and I went uh, several years ago to uh, to fish in in Norway. It was a uh, I bought a conservation uh, fundraising auction package that that was a Norway trip, and uh, we stayed in uh, at a lodge, which was was very nice. Uh, great food and everything and uh the country is just wonderful yeah uh, the river is beautiful there was salmon in it and neither one of us got one and so i want to do that uh, that's really where i want to be next i've i fished uh, and caught fish in in iceland uh not sure i'd go back to iceland it was it's partly the the biologist in me. I mean, it, Iceland, although it's romantic and scenic, it's kind of a ruined landscape. It's ecologically, it's uh, much abused, mm-hmm. uh, completely deforested by man. Right. And, yeah. Uh, you know, the sheep essentially own the place and <laughs> uh, run the show. Run the show. Yeah. And I've, I've caught salmon there, but they they don't tend to 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 be uh, very large for one thing. Whereas in Norway, they they can be very large. Oh, so. Yeah. So we're going back to Norway. That's that's what I'm most cool. anticipating. That's rad. Norway's a great. I'd love to go fish in Norway. It'd be awesome. Right? Hey, Ilma, do you want to wait 10 minutes? Just because the noise. Oh, is picking it up? Yeah. Um, Norway would be amazing. I've seen salmon from Norway, and they're like, oh, man, they're huge. Well, they can be, yeah. Yeah, jeez. Uh, but it, in any case, it's it's not so much about uh, the size, just as having been there and being skunked. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it is a bit of a grudge match. Like yeah, that. <laughs> it's awesome. Ian versus Norway. <laughs> yeah. Number three is uh, what is your best fishing memory? Hmm. Not the Brookie story. When you were little. Yeah, it's, no. <laughs> it's a good story. It's though. a good story. Yeah. Battering brook trout to yeah. death. <laughs> my happiest childhood memory. <laughs> uh. I think probably uh, probably that day on on the Itchen mm, yes. at uh, at Eric Clapton's beat 
catching yeah. wild nice. brook trout on a on a beautifully managed uh, chalk stream. Mm. Yeah, that's. I mean, I'd love to fish a chalk stream, especially Eric Clapton's <laughs> beat in the chalk stream. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, we we actually had tea from his kettle. Oh no way! Where was Eric Clapton? Was he was just probably out playing shows? Yeah, God Eric. knows where he was. Yeah. Yeah. He, he fishes a lot in Iceland now. I hear, but uh, oh yeah, he had every Thursday was was his day on on this Some beat, beat, and uh, so cool. we. Hmm. Took refuge, uh, made her lunch in his hut, and God, that's yeah. cool. That's so cool. He didn't show up and serenade us. No, and, dang it. <laughs> but then after after we finished fishing, uh, my my friend who's who's local, yeah, he says, after a day like this, we have to go to uh, to a pub. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he, Charlie is very uh, strict about pubs. He says, pubs must not have food. Oh, only beer. Yeah. And they must not have chairs. Yeah. You have to stand. Yeah. And we drove to a pub uh, very close by to the Itchen, and you drive through the river to get... The only way to get to this pub is to drive through the Itchen cool. River to the Bush Pub. Through the river. And... Is it called... It's called the Bush Pub? Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. And sure enough, there's no tables, there's no chairs, there's yeah. just a, a bar... Standing only. Beer. There's there's beer, and he says, and the beer preferably should have stuff floating in it. <laughs> okay. This is his, this is the pub. This is, this a, is the pub. That's what a pub is. So it's yeah. on, on the hand pump. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Cascale, yeah. 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 That's cool. That's I mean, that sounds like a pretty good day. That's cool. It was. That is cool. Yeah. What beer did you have B- before we go on to the next question? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure what it was. Uh, it was probably just made in-house. Yeah. 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 If, it's ca- if it's Cascale. In the mm. bush. In yeah. a bush, yeah. yeah. Bush <laughs> ale. That's awesome. Uh, number four of Mitchie's Fishy Six, why do you fly fish? Why fly fish? Principally for that, that connection right. between myself and another species or, or two, if we're talking about uh, an aquatic insect, a trout, and, and right, myself. Right, right. Um, it's that, that connection that always gets me, but also, like a lot of other people have said, it's... Uh, it's sufficiently absorbing that you can't bring your day-to-day concerns mm-hmm. to the table and also fly fish with any reasonable uh, intensity yeah. and have any success if you're worried about yeah. events at the office or at home or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, there's a certain degree of that escapism, mm-hmm. um, but it's the, the connection with the, with the fish... Uh, the the absorption and also uh, the beautiful surroundings. Yeah, yeah, that's great, great answer. The last Mitchie's Fishies five. Well, there's gonna be six today, so the second last question: What fly pattern represents you best, and why? If you were a fly, what would you be? <laughs> I would be an Isonychia emerger. Nice. How come? Why? Why that fly? Because uh, I was deeply immersed in the sort of the discovery of the importance of of emergers of that species, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and in uh, in testing the the development of the uh, of the patterns that ultimately came to uh, to be the best. Uh, imitations for that uh, mm-hmm. for that particular stage 
Yeah. It's a beautiful fly. Yeah, it's a great fly. It's a great fly. No, it's not it. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's like an L-care something or other. Well, I I spelled it right. Did you? Yeah. I don't know. I said Nikia Merger. (laughs) It's a tough word to spell. I don't know, Yelma. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Oh, he's got a picture. Might, right? He might have it in the book. Oh, <laughs> what about? Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, because yeah. We'll take a picture of that too. I see Nikia merger. So that's a well, that's a great answer. We've certainly never heard it on the show <laughs> before. Um, now number six, I want to see if this changes. I want to see if this is affected by the last. See, this is new question. for all of us here. Yeah, number six. I mean, this is just for this show. This is just for Ian. Okay. And I'm curious if it's if the answer is different because it could be the same as number five. But if you were an insect, what would you be and why? If Ian was an insect, if Ian was an insect. It's hmm. a good question. An aquatic insect. An aquatic. Well, well maybe, maybe, hey, maybe you're passionate about something else. Yeah. I'd probably be a caddis larva. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How come? I think because. I spent so much time looking at the blast of things that uh, um, there were times I, I, I really felt uh, it was obsessing me a bit too much, not necessarily voluntarily, but just through pressure of, of work. But uh, yeah. I'm intimately acquainted with, with certainly some species of caddisfly larvae too far more than than i ought to be he spent a lot of time with caddis <laughs> yeah so they kind of subverted my my mind i'm afraid yeah. <laughs> that's awesome i was curious the whole time i was like what kind of insect would ian be i'm gonna put this in the mitchie's fishies yeah. five <laughs> i love it that's it that's all the mitchie's fishies five thank yeah. you so much i mean those answers are awesome yeah and now i just want to go fish for atlantic salmon i'm like super jazz on atlantic salmon yeah. right tell you you got to do a man oh, we yeah. all oh yeah. man it's it's We're going exact, next year it's exactly what you'd expect it is lightning on the other end of your rod oh yeah like a fish i've never felt like i mean we've had a lot of lucky experiences in our fishing life over the past two years especially you Mm -hmm. know like i think i've fished for species that you know i've always wanted to fish for Mm -hmm. bonefish redfish etc etc but yeah the atlantic salmon on a double-handed rod is yeah thanks to your cabin (laughs) yeah it's awesome (laughs) much thanks to your cabin yeah um yeah, that's a special fish. Ian, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, it was great to be here. Great to uh, spend some time with you guys. It's been fun. And, uh, yeah. yeah, it was awesome to we'll meet you. We'll see you on the grand. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or the credit. Yeah, or the credit. Yeah. Or at your cabin. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> right. Ian, how can people book your cabin? Mm-hmm. Oh, well. If you want to advertise that, then. The, yeah. uh, the easiest way is, uh, is on the Facebook page, which is... Uh, in English, of course, it's uh, the Four Seasons, but in French, that renders as uh, Les Quatre Saisons, so mm-hmm. L-E-S, numeral four, Saison, S-A-I-S-O-N-S, mm-hmm. Chalet, on Facebook. Yeah, super cozy, right on the river. You can fish the Bonaventure, the P.T. Cascopedia, or, or right, not just those two rivers, but those are definitely very close. Um, yeah, there's a great uh, back road over to yeah. the, the upper Bonaventure. And yeah. I have done that road in the dark so many times. And wouldn't <laughs> you know it, uh, not this September, but last September, we got lost. No way. Oh, really? In the dark, in the mountains, on those logging roads between oh, the upper yeah. Bonaventure and, and uh, the, the camp. It, and we it, were about three hours in the middle of freaking nowhere. Oh, geez. Oh, and we ended up 
coming into a, a clearing, you know, the branch is scratching both sides of the car. <laughs> yeah. And we ended up in, in this clearing, and there's a great big RV there, lights on and everything. So we knock on the door, and sure enough, it's somebody's moose camp because yeah. it was near right. the beginning of moose season. Our French is better than it used to be, but was not nearly adequate to yeah. mm-hmm. to talk to these people, and, and they had no English, and or almost no English. And mm-hmm. we said, you know, we're trying to get back to uh, Shimon Robidoux to get back to uh, St. Edgar, and the sat-nav is telling us that this will take us there. And they look at us, and they say, <laughs> no, no road, no road, go back. Oh, my God, really? So back the way you came, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So we wandered Jeez. around for another hour, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> my God, yeah. Rob had a had a sat nav, or because we would have gotten lost for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. there's no um, service when you're yeah. on those logging roads. So yeah, yeah. yeah Google Maps isn't pretty really, remote. Is not an option. Pretty yeah. remote out there. That's yeah, beautiful. It's a beautiful drive. Those logging roads. Oh, yeah. I bet. Yeah, but there is no cell service. Yeah, yeah. it's good to know. But uh, yeah, it's a very cozy cabin. Uh, you're close to Zek offices where you can buy. Uh, licenses for uh, those two rivers and uh, that's great I highly recommend and people can find our stuff at sofly.ca um, you can find us on Instagram at the sofly crew um, and if you have any questions comments or concerns uh, you can reach us at the sofly crew at gmail.com please rate us if you can rating us helps us out <laughs> we've, we've been getting more ratings and and uh that's great so or thanks to feedback in general exactly feedback yeah. always helps yeah check out um check out sofly.ca for all these images that we've been talking about throughout the show and um yeah everybody thanks for listening that's it for me mitch uh, yelma yeah i'm out see you guys next time although bye take and care. ian take care guys thank you so much <laughs> <laughs>